0: coming. Welcome, welcome. This is our inaugural Community Shares event. So I'm happy you could all be here. Thanks to Stephen Altair, who's going to be our speaker for today. So it's nice we could come together, get to meet one another a little bit more intimately, you know, share our experiences uh, with dreaming, sleep and dreaming. So yeah, it should be really fun. So I'm gonna read an intro for Steven and then I'll hand it over to him. Um, and there'll be some time for Q and A Q&A at the end or if you have any comments or anything like that, I can read them so you could type them in the chat or raise your hand. Um, yeah, so here we go. Um, so Steven's gonna talk to us today about dream yoga, illusory body yoga and lucid dreaming and a little bit more about him. Stephen's been able to lucid dream since he was two years old and has been interviewed on a number of radio shows and has had the story written up in books. Um, And when we post the recording, I'll post some of the links that Stephen provided with us, really cool stuff. Uh, Stephen's been fascinated by dreams and has recorded around 20,000 in dream journals between the ages of 10 and 30, often (laughs) recording up to 10 dreams a night. Uh, which have varied from samsaric to prophetic to clear light. Um, he's even been able to enter other people's dreams at times over the years. It's really cool. Uh, Stevens had his brain tested in labs in Japan, and it shows very high gamma and theta overall coherence. Also a YouTube link for that. Uh, he's a student of many teachers, including the Carmelite tradition, Paramahansa Yogananda, the Dalai Lama, Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche, and Mingyur Rinpoche. We are so delighted to have Stephen as our first speaker. So without further ado, let me pass the mic over to Stephen.
1: Well, thank you very much, Andy. Thank you. Love and blessings and deepest gratitude to you all. I really bow humbly to the Dharma Kaya in you all, and, and I'm hoping that this sharing will bring out a lot of really helpful information and helpful insights you. so once again thank you to andrew and andy and everybody here in the dream club because i truly do think you are pure awareness so i actually wanted to start off on on that foot that just to consider as we're sharing here that this moment every moment is a potential for awakening for all of us and this moment right here and this moment and this moment, this moment. So what we're sharing here is no different to sadhana or spiritual practice. Because for every one of us, we're making a decision, even by coming here right now, that this bare, naked awareness that's naturally present in us is the dharmakaya, like is that natural awakened state. So I really want to start. So when you're listening, do consider that, that all we really need to do to trust, because there's this incredible coherence here, as a group, as we're sitting here. It's not me speaking to you, it's actually our awareness that's sharing one to another. And so all we need to do is trust and in that flow of pure awareness. And so essentially there's, whenever I've been in any of these great, you know, Rinpoche's and master's company, they keep coming back to devotion and compassion. So essentially what we're doing is bringing a real devotion to our practice, like a, a certainty that this awareness, we, we could call it Buddhahood, we could call it Christhood, we could call it Magdalene consciousness, there's all sorts of different names we could give it. But essentially that they're only names. And that right here in this very moment, as you rest and, and listen to what we share, rest in this unobstructed ray, radiant awareness, because that's truly who we are. So let go and rest. So let go and rest. So, it's a beautiful feeling that we can enter into together, this unobstructed, pure, radiant awareness that we all are. And it's like a home. To me, it's like a home. It's like home sweet home. And you'll see as I begin to talk about dream yoga, illusory body yoga, and uh, sleep yoga, that, that fundamentally they're part of my daytime and my nighttime practices so I'm a bit like a child (laughs) very very open and innocent and filled with awe for all of you as if we're kind of being embraced by by mother by you know a divine mother so it's time for us to wake up and goodness our, our world needs us right I mean you look at you look around you look at all the different suffering that we see and we recognize that there is a a really deep need so that's also what I think we're all bringing here is this kind of awareness so as you're listening try try not as much as possible to objectify me don't look at me look beyond me you know into beyond the screen look over the screen look into the space mix your awareness in, into the space into the surrounding space there's, there's no inside and no outside right we're just simply resting in awareness as we listen so when I think of dream yoga and lucid dreaming, um, I teach a course called Dream Yourself Into Awakening, which um, Holly Erin Copeland, who's here on the call, she also uh, teaches on that as well. So there's a, she's a mind-body coach and a scientist, and we've also got a neuroscientist on the course. So it's kind of nice to bring different perspectives to this. And I'm thoroughly humbled speaking on this to this club to all you very wise souls and especially Andrew Holicek and Andy himself you know you're all adepts in your own fields so I don't think of you know dreaming and dream yoga and lucid dreaming as a um, nocturnal practice but rather as daytime dream yoga meditative dream yoga practice and nighttime dream yoga so I'm very much of that kind of ilk you know I'm I was, as Andy said, I've been fortunate. I, I, I can lucid dream extremely easily and have been able to do so since I was a little kid. So I never really saw any difference um, fundamentally. And so I'm going to talk to you about some of the techniques that I, I've used over the years. And, and primarily this was because of an early childhood experience I had, which introduced me to directly to the Bardo of Dreaming. So when I was just two, I had this recurring dream that I was a Tibetan monk, and I died every single night, 365 days in a row. I can tell you it wasn't very pleasant. Um, I died every night I died, I fell into the resounding om, and I can remember it to this day. It was such a vivid, you know, sound, and also into this clear light into the, so I kind of, I'm, intuiting that through my practices in past lives, I brought through this memory and sort of shoved it right in the face of this two-year-old and said, don't forget. (laughs) And I couldn't forget because I was taken for a whole barrage of tests to doctors and hospitals. And uh, the doctors and neuroscientists at the time thought I had epilepsy, but uh, I didn't. And so the memory led me to pursue these studies in a whole variety of different areas. So my godmother when I was brought up, was a, um, she was a, a Carmelite mother superior. So she brought me into these practices. Um, so she brought me into the practices of St. Teresa of Lissot and St. Teresa of Avila. And so I never really had any doubt that I was protected and looked after by these divine mothers. So that was a really, I feel incredibly blessed by that opportunity when I was a baby and they taught me the carmelite centering prayer and lots of other practices and that so of course when i'm two years old and from two to three i'm having this wild dream of of dying um and also be, being in monks robes and i i mean i can recall it very vividly i it led me to explore all these different practices so i did you know kriya yoga with yogananda or, I did Unbound Space Yoga with Swami Sham. I did Alchemy through Saint Germain and through another wonderful practitioner, Tareth. and did Shimada and Vipassana practices through Achan Brahm and Jack Cornfield. inquiry based practices through Ramana Maharshi, Muji, and a lot of Tibetan Buddhist practices through, um, as Andy's mentioned, through you know His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, who I'm really indebted to, who kind of put me on the straight and very profound path, especially in terms of a lot of the t- tantric practices in the middle way and introducing me to Ma Mudra, and then through to Sogya Rinpoche, Tenzin Wanga Rinpoche, Mingya Rinpoche, Gachin Rinpoche, the 17th Kamada, the 34th Menri Tenzin and and, and so on and so on. You know, I was very fortunate as a young person to be introduced to this this great work at, at such a young age and so I, you know, in, in my work, it led me to doing lots of things. I, I started as a Vedic astrologer. I did, um, so I've practiced that for quite a while. I uh, ran some large health centers in Australia and also started a health and lifestyle television channel uh, also in Australia. So um, the thing that I, I think, you know, one of the really important moments was I I sponsored uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama's first trip, like well, one of the sponsors to Uh, on his trip, first trip to New Zealand. So I got to meet him personally and have a personal audience and he gave me a lot of guidance. And he's always said to me really simple things, you know, such things like just study, you know, so you develop understanding, practice, so you develop some experience, you know, embody the practice so that you attain uh, realisation or recognition and then go and teach 10 people and then teach them to teach 10 people. His Holiness is really you know, blessed my life and, and many other people by, by that kind of simple message, you know, bring the bring what you know and what you learn to your friends, to your family. You know, our planet needs this awakening, needs this group cohesiveness that all of you bring. You're all, in essence, the Buddha. You're all the Dhammakaya. So it's that wonderful personal advice that he gave me over a period of about 35 years that I just felt incredibly humbled by. So I did... Um, did lots of it, you know, education. I mean, education is uh, at His Holiness's heart, and certainly at mine. And I, so I lectured in a whole variety of things: computer science, animation, in uh, and music, to master's level, and managed some PhD theses and so on. And and so I applied a lot of that research into r- what I was so interested in, which was meditation, and I developed. a um community and a book and an app with uh kevin shaminger who um is uh we we have this community called raising our vibration so that's been you know the the my point in bringing that up is is especially about community we're all in the community here and the power of community in our current world is really uh a priceless gem it's like a chintamani stone a, a beautiful presence that we all bring that we can support each other in so I'm tremendously grateful for the dream club and for all that it offers us so I did um and and out of this raising a vibration course came some dream courses which as as I've mentioned I've been doing with Holly and uh, Kiefer uh, and uh, working with enlightened businesses through another um, organization called Conscious Accelerator that I do with Constantine Giorgio and a Group of people: Ian Haycroft, who's a kinesiologist, and John King, who's a best-selling New York Times author for for tribal leadership. So we're trying to bring people's hearts together in business as well, because you know, with the you know coronavirus pandemic, there is a lot of fear. And there's a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot of change in business and the whole economic structure fundamentally is changing. There's a lot of unemployed. So we're trying to bring refuge in the midst for that. Um, so I'm, I I simply love the opportunity that we've got here in nightclub to awaken and to use the power of dream yoga and illusory body yoga and sleep yoga. Um, so when we look at it, it's like a little bit like, you know, science and the medicine of sleep being brought together. So we, we have all these daily support practices like our meditation and the practice of illusory form. And then lucid dreaming itself becomes like the center of a mandala around which all this is arranged. And, you know, over the years, I, I've practiced a lot of Uh, tantric practices and especially a lot with that seeing this world as a mandala and seeing all of you as buddhas and walking on lotus flowers and seeing my house as a shrine or a temple and that's been you know i I see the dream yoga and sleep yoga they're, they're like that they're all within the same mandala they're indivisible so there's not just lucid dreaming there's this indivisibility which is basically pure awareness itself that brings all this cohesion so then you have this evolution of the nocturnal practices like dream yoga and sleep yoga or luminosity yoga and the and bardo yoga so i think it's crucial to remember that they're indivisible like there's not a separation there is not just lucid dreaming it is just like a center of a mandala in terms of the um, dream club so this, so, this lucid dreaming and dream yoga did play a central role, especially to this two year old self. Um, so, I'll tell you just briefly the story of what actually happened to do with that dream. In fact, it began with my mum when she was just a teenager. So, she, when she was a teenager, she was in an orchard in New Zealand, in the south part of New Zealand, in Nelson. And she'd been sent there by her parents because they were worried in, the, in those years, in the wartime years, that. You know, New Zealand was going to get bombed or attacked and so she was sent for safety down to this orchard and she was just sitting, she, to, she told me years later, she was sitting in this orchard and a Maori tohunga or an elder came up to her and took her hands and then basically took my mum into a kind of a trance and started to tell her that she was going to have four children. So she was only a teenager, remember, at the time and she was going to have four kids, which is true, and that the eldest, who's me, She started to tell her all about the elders, about the kind of spiritual (laughs) path, about my past lives and and so on. And unbeknownst to me at the time, because she didn't tell me until years later, um, because my mum was worried I'd become a monk if she told me actually what the tohunga had told me. (laughs) She said that the um, Māori tohunga told her about this past life, how I had died. In 1959, as a Tibetan monk in the in the service of the Dalai Lama, and a, in the a, you know in that um, terrible time in, in Tibet, and that I would remember this, and sure enough, I mean that did happen, and the so before my mum passed, some very interesting things happened. Um, uh, I was, I, I've had many miracles as a result of being blessed by the lineage and the masters and all these, uh, you know, incredible gifts I've re- received in my life. So none of it's due to me. I had these wonder. you know, I had healing practices where really incredible miracles would happen to people. And I realized it's like that divine mother power that comes through all of us that embraces and nurtures and uplifts was happening all the time so she had a she you know played a a little miracle out for me and in front of witnesses some years ago which my mum had um, took part in was I was walking on a street in Sydney and uh, a woman came up to me and said Sai Baba wants to see you and I thought yeah of course he does (laughs) so she said no no I'm serious Sai Baba gave me a message it's you come to my place I said okay and I was with a girl I was going out at the time so we went to this lady's place afterwards and there were these two statues when we went down to a basement she said look she said I've, all i've been told, so baby just told me to bring you here and that uh, whatever unfolded he, he and the mother would take care of it and i said okay so there was this statue of ganesha and um she said look it's amrita and sure enough the statue was about oh, uh, about up to my chest so it's large and out of the trunk was coming this continuous flow of nectar. She said, taste it. It's incredible. So taste I mean, I've never tasted anything since. It was really incredibly, tasted like the sweetest honey that you might ever consider. And it was incredibly bliss evoking. Um, and there was no known source. I could look under it, just kept pouring. She had buckets of the stuff around her. And then she took me to the other statue. And the other statue was Avalokiteshvara, or Guanyin in China or Kanon Summer in Japan. And she said, Sai Baba told me to tell you to pray in front of it. And uh, if you have a pure heart, then the statue will give you a gift. So of course I'm I'm with my girlfriend at the time, she's raising her eyebrows and she said, go on, go on. I said, okay, okay. So I knelt down. you know, I I couldn't think of anything to pray for other than for the liberation of all being, liberation of all suffering on the planet. So I literally just knelt, did that. the next moment, out of the heart of the statue came this beautiful pearl on the end of a sh- silk strand, and it burst right out of the heart of the statue. About you know about this sort of size, cl- close to an inch. It was first of all a mother, and then a baby pearl. And of course, that, that has a lot of significance in many ways, with the mother mother and child awareness, with the kind of way that we view the world in awe as as that child awareness and how the mother awareness em- embraces us. So. I held up my hand and the pearl dropped in my hands much to both myself and my girlfriend's astonishment and it was really just such a feeling of tremendous blessing out of the heart of the goddess of compassion or the the it felt like prajnaparamita was giving me that pearl to you know as a beautiful symbol just simply of the fact that that compassion is in all of us that no matter what suffering we come across no matter how hard the struggles get that we we still have that jewel of compassion for and possibility for all all beings in our heart so i took the job and i was walking up the, front of the house still somewhat in struck astonishment and there was a friend of mine called malcolm who came down he said oh i said steve people call me either Stephen or alt it doesn't really matter which they said "Stephen, what what are you doing there and i said i sort of looked at him with the surprise on my face i said well we just came from the and then he looked at he said what if he got it right because the lady put a the pearl around my neck he said what's that and i said oh it's a pearl he said where'd you get it i said out of the heart of a statue he said no no where'd you get it and my girlfriend said he got it out of the heart of a statue (laughs) so he um he said it was a jeweler and he said do you want to come to my shop so anyway he goes and you know checks it out and he said he said I'll give you a thousand. You, give you a thousand. What do you want for it? Ten thousand. And I said, it's not for sale. What are you, what are you trying? He said, this is amazing. He said, I've never seen a pearl like this. He said, it's. I, I've just never seen it. He said, what, what do you want for it? I said, look, Melga, if you gave me a million bucks, I wouldn't sell it. It's not. It's not that kind of thing. It's. He said, I know. I know. It came out of the heart of a statue. So, that's. So a lot of my my life has been a little bit like this. You know that it's been spontaneously encouraged by, you know, deities and Buddhas and Christs and all, all manner of other, you know, miracles of whom all of you are. So you are the Christ and the Buddha and Magdalene to me. So the the, the that, that's the way my life is unfolding. So I actually gave the pill to my mum prior to her passing when she actually told me the story of these dreams and how she want, didn't want to tell me in case I came a monk. And I said, well, mum, just look after the pill. Don't worry, it'll... You know, it'll take you, oh, sorry, I might get a, get a tear if I think about my mum too closely. Um, and, uh, you know, and at her passing, the pearl vanished. Nobody found it. The nurses didn't know. They said they saw her wearing it and then it had gone and it literally disappeared. So I always thought, yeah, I went back to the uh, back, to that the goddess of compassion went back to divine mother went back to Persian pyramid and it was so the anyway that's a, just a very lovely heartfelt story and I I think so just for some of the techniques that have helped me along the way i 've been really devoted since uh you know young young man to Padmasambhava, you know, Guru Rimsha and Yeshi Salgya and Princess Mandarava. They've been, oh, I'll get another tear about that too, because my sense of devotion is so strong that I just love them to bits. <laughs> oh. um, so, you know, I, I can't lay like, claim to anything. None of, none of the knowledge or wisdom that's, it's, it's literally passed through. It's not, holdable on to you know it's ungraspable which is ultimately the nature of awareness itself right so for nearly 40 years or so i can i can say these techniques have come from you know all the wondrous ways that masters have appeared and in fact they've appeared in my dream too you know i had jamyang kensei rinpoche one day he came in my dream up a ladder in a house he was on the top of the house and he said um to me he said I know you've, I I used to be a student of Saugya Rinpoche's and of course, like many people, you know, when some of the challenges that Saugya Rinpoche faced, of course it affected us, the the students. So I kind of left it aside for a while. And then Jamyang Kinso appeared, you know, and he he of course um, taught uh, Dilgo Kinso Rinpoche and he he appeared in my dream on this roof. And he said, he said, Stephen, don't worry. I'm going to send you a teacher, (laughs) you know, it's so beautiful. When when these things happen, and literally, you know, not not more than a few weeks later, along came Mingi Rinpoche or Minji Rinpoche, and he instructed me further, you know. And I I've so I've spoken to all all these Rinpoches about these different dreams, and they 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 just chuckle and they go, yep, just another thing to let go of, yeah, you know. And I tell them about this and that. And the next says, yep, yeah, just yeah, let it all go. It's all all okay. It's all. Sometimes they say, you know, sometimes they're quite direct. And say, it's all just television, you know. D- don't worry about it. Just so it's it's really beautiful to be guided by that. It keeps letting you know to let go, to let go, and let go. So yeah, as I said, I, I've I've had a lot of re- great recall of dreams. I can recall any any number in a night, and I did record around twenty thousand from the age of ten to thirty. So when I think of um, the dreams, I often think of traditional texts. So I think the first real teaching I received on dream yoga was through natural liberation. So the natural liberation of Padmasambhava. So that was within the context of the six Bardo's, um, including Bardo dreaming. So I received transmissions in the physical from the Dalai Lama, but I also received transmissions from all you know manner of Rinpoche's like like Guru Rinpoche or Yeshi Saogya or Jami Yankensi Rinpoche, the fifth Dalai Lama appeared in dreams, of first Kamapa and so on. So again, it's just this incredible blessing that these transmissions come in all kinds of different ways. And I do think that's one of the incredible powers of dream yoga. So simply that's what I do every day. I offer it up to divine mother, up to the mother of wisdom, the great wisdom mother, Paramita. I offer it up to the perfection of the wisdom. So nothing I do essentially is coming from or of me at all. Um, So it's really through her blessings and through devotion and compassion, which is why devotion and compassion becomes so important. So some basic techniques that I use. So first of all, is dedication i'm i'm very very dedicated i start off my practice every night so this is as i say i mean i don't really see a difference between my daytime my meditation my nighttime practices they're all more or less the same thing they're all one taste you know one flow there's one current that flows through everything so i simply meditate in meditation during the day and and prior to going to sleep i cultivate that profound sense of bodhicitta that all living beings might recognize their own true nature as pure, empty, boundless awareness, right? Which we all do. So that's, that kind of is, is a really fundamental, if there's, if there's anything else, you know, and I'm about to die this moment in front of you, I would just simply pray that you might all recognize your own true nature as pure, empty, boundless awareness. So I think that's a really fundamental part that I would encourage is that kind of profound motivation. And then devotion. So I have a really deep devotion to Divine Mother and to the teachings and to the lineage and to all of you. So I actually go to sleep in in my traditional tantra practice as her. So I'm sleeping. So the moment I go to sleep every night for years and years and years, I sleep as the goddess of compassion. And that was fundamentally the practice that and Dalai Lama taught me, and I asked him directly about my dream and the clear light dreams, and he he spoke about simply that, you know, become become the deity, embody her, embody those qualities is really what he meant. So when I say I go to sleep as her, I go to sleep as goddess of compassion with compassion and with bodhicitta devotion and compassion ringing in my heart. So that's... that's quite a pure way to sleep <laughs> really really very natural for me so then there's so and and as I sleep the I turn inwards so I'm going from objectified awareness into turning inwards into that open clarity and that luminous awareness so I'm literally turning inwards looking for the one that's aware I can't find it That unfindability, that ungraspability, that is emptiness, right? And that emptiness at the same time, when you try to find the emptiness, when you try to find the awareness and it's empty, it's ungraspable. That ungraspability, which is emptiness, is also very pure knowingness. So there you start to come across quite naturally these pure qualities of awareness itself, this emptiness or ungraspability and this knowing awareness. And that clear knowingness, right, it's also indivisible and from uh, from the emptiness. So this empty clarity, which is indivisible, the moment you have anything that's indivisible, it's unlimited, right? Anything that's indivisible, we're indivisible fundamentally. So we are simply unlimited and it brings to mind every night the unlimited potential of our awareness because essentially you're never coming in contact with anything other than this indivisible timeless open clear empty compassionate awareness which has no history no past no future no ideas no concepts so you simply are aware of that you're aware of this potential you're aware of this profound nature of awareness itself and so as you, as I go to sleep, that's fundamentally how I sleep. Lucid dreams, so I enter into the hypnagogic or liminal state really very easily. Visions come, sort of, <laughs> too many. <laughs> they, they flock to me. Maybe I must. I think my brain's kind of like a magnet to that because, as I said, I've been to different labs. I've had my brain looked at by a number of neuroscientists. And I I have a very strong theta brain. It, it sits right on seven point five or seven point six, hertz, um, uh, which is the Earth resonance. And then it also sits at the same time around forty four and sixty six hertz gamma. So my brain sort of, whether I <laughs> whether I'm awake or sleep or talking to you now, it's in that state. So that's kind of the been my practice practice assisted by by this brain so um and heart and and devotion and compassion so if just just on a few of the details if you're going to look at some of the ways that you enter a lucid dream state you know first of all don't forget the subtle energy body light the inner fire so remember about the energy channels the ida pingala and sushumna so do I'm a great fan of Tenzin Wangya Rinpoche and nine purifications breathing, so I use that as a practice regularly. To he, he's you can find that on, on the web, you can find his instructions for that. So, cleansing that, um, I use light syllables like hung, hung I I like because hung is fundamentally and Yeshi's Sogyal's light syllable, right? It means the union of uh, refuge and taking refuge in bodhicitta. So it's when I hum with that or hung with that, when I hang out with that, <laughs> Mindy says, Don't get hung up on hung. I, uh, on hung. I, I love that. It's just, this is so classic. It's, it's so, so much him. Um, so I really love sleeping in that kind of vib- vibration. So as I go to sleep, I reflect on the day, you know, you know, that famous phrase, this is a dream, right? So how often did you bring that awareness to your day? So that's a really simple, useful reflection. And then making this intention to go to sleep as the deity with this deity awareness, whether it's God's formless light, whether it's Christ, Krishna, Ramana, whether it's, guru Rinpoche whether it's the Buddha you know so do that I I quite often sing myself to sleep because when you sing to like a favorite lullaby from when you're a kid it awakens this heartfelt childlike innocence so I often do that um lying position is important you know quite often right hand side is recommended I, I find lying on my back is really simple and useful um breathing breathe that still silent spacious aware breath really really powerful protection remember that you're in a protected sacred space connect with the sacred space of dreaming and yoga visualization helps because visualization helps kind of uh walk you together into the liminal state and it makes it very easeful especially if you practice that way during the during the day um and things like you know yantra i've used yantra and mandala a lot over the over the years it's very very simple for me to see tara's yantra and drop into it so i sometimes use that as a portal the feelings are most important right the felt sense if you if you find too too many things are getting too complex because i've done these for years so they kind of feel like they're very useful but if at the simplest way Tenzin turns always says look if it comes down to it, fall asleep with your hands over your heart in open clarity, right? That's really some of the simplest things I'd say. Um, if if you want to do those practices like waking up an hour early or two hours early, I traditionally, I, I tend to lucid dream right when I fall asleep. Um, that's that's my traditional pattern, but that's partly because I train myself to do do that in that way. And then, you know, when you're lucid dreaming, test it out, stretch your skin, do something wild, change time, change colors, go forwards and backwards. You know, I've had lucid dreams, which is so incredibly detailed. I can rewind them, fast forward them and actually go zoom in, zoom out and pick out details that that are, are really quite astonishing. So it's so test it out, fly, visit sacred places, go and get answers from masters. I mean, you you can do that, right? Because it is, unbounded awareness. And then during the day, don't don't forget about that during the day this is really incredibly powerful to consider the daytime part of your nighttime and your nighttime part of your daytime and I think that's what daytime dream yoga really is it's about developing insight so that you're already moving towards lucidity as you start to sleep and dream. Um there's, there's many more things I could could say and share with you, but I do want to leave some time for questions, and I don't want to go on too much, too long. And I'm really humbly grateful for having the opportunity to even share this this part with you. Uh, and so, if there's any any questions, I'm just as I say, I'm just tremendously humbled and delightfully grateful for this opportunity to Andy and Andrew and everybody else here. You
0: you truly are the Dharmakaya to me. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much, Steven. That was really beautiful. What a great way to kick this off, this community share. So, so grateful to you, everything that you shared. So um, at, I'm, I'm, I have one or two questions. And then in the meantime, feel free anyone who's here to raise your hand if you have a question or type any questions or comments in the chat, and um, I could read them to Stephen, and we could respond. But. Um, so one way that we can connect with you is in the nightclub community. Your handle is at Altair, but how else can we connect with you offline? Do you have websites, um, anything sure. that you want to share?
1: Sure, sure. Oh, well, thank you for asking. Yeah. The, um, so the community I run with Kevin Shaininger is called raisingourvibration.net. And there's also a community we run. So we teach subtle energy meditation and the community is called uh Uh, Raising Our Vibration Community. And then Holly and I and another uh, meditator, Randy, uh, set up a group called Heart Mind Alchemy Club, or Heart Mind Alchemy Lab. She'll correct me if I'm wrong. And um, that's also on Facebook. So Raising Our Vibration Community and Heart Mind Alchemy Lab are on uh, Facebook. And heartmindalchemy.com is the uh, is the website around that, that has a lot of the information that Holly and the neuroscientist Kiefer Sullivan and I do do together. So there's that, and the other one is the Conscious Accelerator, which is for business pe- people interested in enlightening their business practice or, or enlightening the way things happen at work. So th- those are those are three easy ways. Thank you,
0: and. Um... I read these comments. This is from Greg B. He said, thank you for sharing. So did Beryl. Beryl said also thank you for sharing this. Uh, this comment's from Eric. Um, I wonder if Stephen has any tips for maintaining awareness in hypnagogia. I struggle to not simply keep myself awake with too much awareness as falling asleep versus simply blacking out into sleep. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, th- thanks Eric. I mean, that's a, that's a brilliant
1: um, question. So the, that, maintaining awareness <clears throat> is something interesting Holly who's on this call will approach she finds that too she's often spoken to me about the fact that you know that simply blacking out into sleep so what I've found is that as I said there's there's not a difference between your uh, lucidity at night and your lucidity during the day and your lucidity during your meditation practices. So one one of the things that I found, the the possibility of becoming lucid is really going to be supported by your daily meditative practice. So, for example, the central stream of my daily meditative practice now has been a current or a flow that continues like an unbroken current or this continuum of awareness that has been greatly helped by zojin practice and of course by the middle way view of emptiness and that so to me that's really particularly central to this ongoing sustenance is especially if you've got access to teachers and those kind of practices so you basically take the path into liberation or awakening by developing Shimada or calm abiding. So, you, so that is developed as part of your meditation. This is where meditation is so crucial. And then you take that into Vipassana, which is insight during the day. So during the day, you're, you're actually looking to see whether you are aware of awareness. And then it's the same thing. You bring motivation into bodhicitta. So you actually become very, very clear about the purposes for which you're doing something like this, and you bring your intention into guru yoga. So you actually go to sleep as this very, very clear, uh, clear deity consciousness. Now, so what happens then is that you've kind of set up the conditions as it were to be very, very awake rather than falling into a deep sleep. So you, it's, it's, it's such a fundamental question. You've got to look at all aspects of, of your life, not just that little falling asleep part, but for example, you know, are you tired at work? Are you tired in your relationship? Are you tired because of the kind of diet that you're eating? Are you tired because of lack of exercise? So you start to really look at the, that's why I brought up about the continuum, this kind of shamara, vipassana, primordial awareness Continuing, you start to look at all of it as, and you think, okay, so I'm going to bed, and then I have some sort of hypnagogic state where I'm, I'm, I've got some brief awareness, and then lights out. I'm falling asleep. It's quite possible, I, um, Eric, that your body actually wants to do that, right? So that's the first port of call. You come back to yourself, and you say, all right, let me look at ways that that my diet and my Uh, exercise is actually contributing to this you you might simply need it you know I know when I chatted with Holly about this she said oh she just has such a deep deep sleep state that she drops into it automatically whereas for me so if I I, I'd say come and sit in my body for a while Eric because my body's like literally lit up with because because I my mom was a light sleeper and I'm a very light sleeper so I you know I wake at the drop of a hat so you're that's so. Your physical. Look at look at your diet. Look at your exercise, and then your mind state. So, what are you feeding into your mind? So, so like my mind is fed constantly with, you know, practices. Dietary, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm practicing that a lot. It's kind of my basic sadhana, whether I'm uh, in my daytime state because I guide a lot of people in practices, and I do it in meditation. And I also do that in sleep. So for me, there's no real fundamental distance d- difference. So you could, so look really carefully at what you're feeding. And if you're feeding lots of social media and then you kind of go to sleep expecting to stay really awake, well, guess what? You're going to get fed. Your, your mind's already tired out with all the social media, not to mention the body. So you look at your body, you look at your mind and then you look at your fundamental practices like your meditation practices uh, this is why i mentioned subtle energy so for example i practice a lot of kriya yoga tumo, or in a fire practice my body is really really awake when i go into the deeper meditative states so the same thing if you're doing a nighttime practice don't make it too energized because then you might not actually sleep <laughs> so there's a very subtle balance but doing enough energy insight and awakening so that there is actually your subtle energy your body is awake at the time that you are starting to fall asleep. You, so for me, I find for my own personal experience, I go to sleep. So I can, I'll describe it to you just, just if it's some help. So I go to sleep. So my daughter's beside me, she's six, she's hanging on to me. She likes to hold on to dad. So I go to sleep and I, as I start to sleep, we actually listen to tens and shades. So that's another help. To keep, because my daughter calls him Ten Ten. She calls me, means Min Min, and she calls Dalai Lama Dalai. So she tells me who she wants each night. She says, but it's usually Ten Ten. Ten Ten, data. Okay. So we go to sleep. We're listening to guided meditation from 10 and I drift off. And as I drift off, I'm really aware of that first hypnagogic state. So it's a, it's like a forest. I'm on a forest path, and I recognize it. So I start to fall asleep, and that particular memory of that forest path it actually stays with me and then i'm asleep and then i'll, I'll either be lucid or otherwise i'll dream and there's a cue that i've left just prior so i often end up in that same forest path in the lucid dream and then i go, recognize it and instantly i'm awake in the dream so but but i'm i'm very very you know i'm a very light sleeper so my whole night feels like it's a meditative process i'm really light so i can drop in and out really really easily and i'm not lucid dreaming the whole entire night i have all sorts of dreams but i'm i've trained myself enough to know that the easiest way for me to do it is straight off the bat when i dive in there just as i'm going to sleep and i drop into it and i have a cue and i've done my energization exercise which i do every night i've I've fired up my body i'm really pretty i'm pretty wide but not too wide like i know just the balance of the physical the mind the subtle energy body and my spiritual practice to maintain so i don't know if that helps but that you know those are some of the things that i've found personally very helpful um, to maintain that really light lucid awareness, even as I drop off to sleep. So I'm not a deep sleeper. And so I, it's, it's, I only drop off to a really deep sleep if I say to my body, Hey, you need a deep sleep tonight. Cause you've been awake for the last seven.
0: <laughs> yeah. I hope that helps a little. Yeah. Eric posted. Thank you so much. This is um, from Janine. She says, thanks so much for sharing. You mentioned a Yantra practice. I'm not familiar with that. Could you say any more? Yeah, sure. So, um, if you are familiar, so here's
1: the simplest way I took. In, In the beginning, I think if you take a symbol that your heart really resonates with, so it might be like a circle, like the womb of life, you know, it contains all things, it's indivisible. And as you go to sleep, for example, the simplest way is to visualize that circle on your heart. Now, as, as you go to sleep, the, the, the importance of yantra is actually the quality, not so much just the substance. Because the moment that you objectify something, you're actually in already. You're going out from that inwardness. But if you go to sleep with this simple, so you visualize the circle on your heart and you go to sleep with this quality of indivisible boundlessness, just that simple. Just make, make the things really simple and then yantra will work. And then after you've explored that, then you can explore, for example, uh, something like Tara's yantra and Tara being that beautiful, compassionate, unlimited, unbounded, unobstructed compassion is like, so the yantra then, so if you look at, tara's yantra you'll see the lotus and the triangle and the various forms and they're just forms but you learn to construct a yantra in your mind and visualize and meditate on it and that becomes part of the mandala that you're constructing that you're meditating in so yantra is a very beautiful practice i'm not going to go into too much depth because i think the simplicity of it is actually the quality so if it's unbounded compassion and you find a a symbol that really means that to you, and it helps you to rest and touch the essence of that quality through activating the simple symbol in your subtle energy body. When you turn inwards, then you've got, then it's kind of done done its job. And Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche points out this about yantra and light syllables and so he says, "Look, at the end of the day, you want to have a clear, open sleep, and that's I totally." That's the essence of it, right? It's kind of what Eric was saying. Like you to to enter into lucid dreaming at will, it's it's all about clarity and openness and emptiness, right? You don't you don't want to be attached to form. You are actually the whole purpose of lucid dreaming is to get beyond form, to go into the formless, to know that that is actually your pure and natural essence. Yeah. So I hope that helps. But as I said with the mantra, make it really simple. Focus on you know on the quality of. the, of that that you work with. And then that will lead you into some of the more com- complex practices of which which are really pretty wondrous because you start to realize that what you you know, so so Rinpoche will say to you, okay, so we want you to you're gonna visualize this mandala and it has these many gates and these many deities and this kind of many levels. And at first you think, how is it possible for a mind to simultaneously, you know, but then with practice. It becomes easeful and effortless and it's wondrous, right? And and that's what they're trying to point out to you. Not that you can do it, but the quality of wonder actually arises in you. And that quality, stay. it's that, that. That's the awareness, right? That's the indivisible, effortless and infinite nature of awareness itself. It's right there. And they've pointed it out. That's the whole purpose. That's, that's what Yantra is basically bringing you to.
0: Yeah. Anyway, I hope that's... Helps off. Um, Greg B was so kind to post your uh, websites in the chat. So that's super helpful. And thank you, uh, Greg, for that. Thank you. Um, Barry said, What great inspiration, Stephen. Many thanks. This is a question from Tim. It says, Thank you so much, Stephen. I also have been a student of Yogananda for many years. So I relate to you in that regard. You think that dream yoga works well with the Kriya practice and have you tried doing Kriya in your lucid dreams? If so, what was the result? <laughs> That's a brilliant question. I do love that because, yeah, I've been a, a devotee of Yoganandas for
1: nigh on, oh goodness, I kind of so 40 more years. Um, so I, I've been very fortunate in lucid dreaming. So Babaji, whom of course you'll, you'll be aware of, has arisen and actually given me pointed, pointing outs, in the dream, so I think it's not so much what I've tried doing, but what's spontaneously arisen in the lucid dreams that's really, I think, touched my heart. So, uh, have I tried doing Kriya in in lucid dreams? No, I would say awareness has done Kriya to me in, in terms of the fact that I'll I'll so I'll give you an exact example. Um, so one one lucid dream, I was sitting at a dinner table. And then Yogananda was sitting opposite to to me and I realized, oh, Yogananda's (laughs) in the room. I must be lucid. And sure enough, you know, I pulled the skin off and tried changing my skin blue and then I could stretch the skin. So then I, I realized I was lucid. And so Yogananda gave me an instruction about bringing that subtle energy into the inner spine with really deep devotion, like a kind of devotion that I... I hadn't considered at such a depth. And so it was a really simple pointing out. And then he said, it's actually all about devotion. He said, why is it that advanced practitioners, after going through samadhi, come all the way around and then start talking about devotion? It's because of this. And I could feel in the lucid dream exactly what he meant, that that pure devotion combined with kriya because as you know you draw the energy up the spine and there there is all the way that yogananda speaks about the techniques of doing that but the key is your heart right the key is actually bringing that open-hearted awareness and that pure sense of devotion to, to your practice and it completely changed rather than it just becoming a technique so tim over the years you know i i when i was a practicing Vedic astrologer, I was uh I was in both self-realization fellowship communities and also in um an under community. So I was I met with Sri Dayamada who was the president at the time and Swami who was the president, I uh, was the um leader of the other community at the time. And they were very gracious and they allowed me to work with really pretty advanced devotees to help them with this really simple sense of devotion. I mean it's so simple, right? It's like, you know, do you bring 100% devotion to Master, to Yogananda, to Bhavaji, to whoever, in your practice? If you do, then you actually open to the blessings of the practice itself. You're no longer guiding. Awareness is guiding. Devotion is guiding. The quality of devotion is actually like a secret key. And um, so, yeah, that, that was. So have I, have I tried it? No, I haven't, but I've been pointed out. By by Yogananda or by Babaji in the dream, so that's always, you know, particularly uh, a a very humble blessing to feel feel or be shown that.
0: I hope that I hope that helps a little. Oh, Wendy commented in the chat. Thank you so much. Wonderful. I feel uplifted! Exclamation point. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, This is a question from Anita. She says so contrary to many teachings you lucid dream in the beginning of your night in the beginning to your night yeah good good question so
1: when I'm helping people who want to know about lucid dreaming I advise that they start at the other end you know that they start it by waking themselves up one or two hours before and you know in all the dream yoga workshops I've been with people they often talk about that you know wake yourself up at the end for me just because of the kind of practice i've done since a little kid so i didn't uh so um uh, anita i i i didn't i didn't know about this right i didn't know any of the rules or techniques or anything when i was little i just did what came and what came naturally was these dreams would a bit like the dream i had 365 days in a row my dreams would come very early on i'd i'd do something like i'd read some beautiful scripture from saint Thérèse of Lisieux. I'd fall asleep and instantly I'd be in a lucid dream as her sister with her at a dinner table, you know, and she's talking to me. So I would so those were the kind of dreams I had as a little kid. And I, so I didn't consider that, Oh, okay. Um, maybe I, I should be doing these at the end, or maybe I should be doing these in the beginning. And I've spoken with um, I've, uh, recently, I've spoken with some uh, meditators in Europe who are in, who are doing lots of, Practices sharing in group lucid, like just like this. And they were talking about the same thing that a number of them has, have found that the deeper that they went in their meditative practices, that it was just really easy for them to start to go from their meditative practice into falling asleep, doing this kind of practice, staying in that really kind of hyper lucid or uh, hypnotic or luminal state as they fell asleep, and then doing this in, in the early part of the night rather than what they'd practiced for years and years, which was waking themselves up in the later part. So, so yes. Do I lucid dream the beginning? Yeah, absolutely. It's been, that's just something that happened naturally for me. And, you know, on discussion with people, you, you'll find, I know because you're obviously a, a wise lucid dreamer yourself. You're that there's lots of different perspectives and lots of different ways that, People enter that lucid dream, and a lot of it does depend on their daytime practice, their meditation practice, and the way that they enter into their sleep. They, you know, mine's so lit already when I go to sleep that I it just naturally happens at that at that point. But that's a great
0: question. I um, I hope that answers it a little bit. Tim also commented. He said, "Thanks for." That answer to his question. Ah, thank you. This is, um, I have one more question. Usually we have a, a dream group that meets on Sundays as part of a nightclub. And one of the ways we end the dream group is um, we talk about our dream goals or our intentions for, you know, the time ahead. So I was wondering if you had, or if you would share any of your own dream goals or your intentions for either the next year or week or so, <laughs>
1: Sure, sure. Well, well I, I can share it in kind of a slightly unusual way. I, I wrote a poem about it. So this is kind of my, I guess you'd say my dream for all dreamers that they recognize this. So my simple dream goal is that everybody might recognize that your nature has this continuous flow and that it's like space it's like a river. It's like an ocean. It's like a mirror, which means it's also the ocean because the river flows there. And it's also the clouds because the ocean disperses there. And it's also the dewdrops on the flower because the rain falls there. And it's also the ground and the flower grows in because the air and the sky embrace the flower's scent. And it's the sun that shines upon it, which is changeless and ever-present. So you can't conceive of that so fast. And if the mind treats it as an object, then you'll never find it. And since it's not an object, then it can't be meditated on. And thus, there's no meditator and no meditation, and it is non-meditation itself. So I wish for you the same goal I have, that your practices may be boundless, and that you will recognize the beauty of your boundless nature that is inherent. And that's my dream goal.
0: (laughs) Thanks for that. I have a nice comment from Barry, I think you'll like. He said, uh, my wife is a devotee of Sai Baba, and we've been looking for a new house for about a year. She found a statue of Sai Baba, and we found a new house the next day.
1: I love that. Sai Baba has graced me in the most unbelievable ways. So I'll give you a quick funny return story. I had a dream of Sai Baba and he said to me, tell your friend Bruce to come and visit me. I went to my friend Bruce's house and Bruce said, I've had a dream of Sai Baba, why are you here? And I said, I had a dream of Sai Baba too. He said, Sai Baba took me to go to India. And I said, that's the same dream I had Bruce, you better go. He said, no, no. He said, I only believe in three. You know, it's got to come in threes. I said, okay. I drove into town. I I tell you, this is just so, this is mind-blowing stuff, right? I drove into town. I was standing at a cash flow machine and there's a woman in front of me. And so I was just waiting. She turns to me and just as she's about to walk past, she stops and says, "Tell uh, tell your friend Sai Baba wants to see him in India. And she walks past like I didn't know from her. so I got straight. I rang, I was um I was running a company at the time. I rang the secretary. I said, can, can you just tell everybody a whole file? I said, I'll be in the meeting about 30 minutes. And I drove back to my friend's place and I said, Bruce, three times. I said, A woman, I don't know, turned at the cash flow machine and said, Bruce, you know, go, go to it. There. So yeah, I I I thoroughly I love what you've said. And um and uh Lori you asked about the wall hanging, it's uh Omani Pub So that's the that's that's that. So it's something I say, you know, every night. My my daughter said it too. Oh, money, 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 The baby. My daughter said the most, I know, I know we're right on time, but I was just going to, i share this really cute story about my daughter because she loves money, oh, money. And she says, daddy, you know, why doesn't everybody say that all the time? And I said, well, you know, they're just coming around to it. And so we were at the age of one. She was um, at a Goma fire ritual with us at our local temple, because I live beside an old Japanese Zen temple that was built in 774. So it's pretty old. And and they only open it once a year and they had television cameras there. And of course, there's not too many foreigners there. So the the lady that was interviewing came up to me and she said, oh, hello. You've got your little girl there. I said, yeah, yeah. She's just turned one today. Um, And she said, oh, does she know where Buddha is? And I said, and then I turned to my daughter and said, do you know where Buddha is? My daughter nods like this. So the interviewer turned the camera towards the temple and said, can you ask your daughter to point out where the Buddha is? And my daughter leant over and tapped the interviewer on the chest. And she, her name for Buddha is Babu. And she said, there, Babu, Babu. <laughs> I just thought, wow, pointing out, pointing out the agency. <laughs> I, I just thought that'd be nice way to conclude, you know, with my daughter's very wise words. She couldn't speak very much, but she learned babu really early on. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Yeah, Leah, you're right. It's glorious, right? Kids are glorious thing. Eh? Just bring back to you all the wonders of everything that is.
0: Well, awesome. This was truly a blessing and a gift, really, to be with you all. And Steven, thank you so much uh, for all your offerings. So uh, yeah, this will be recorded. I'll post it on the nightclub site in the community. Um, I'll post all the links uh, you know, to connect with Steven offline. And um, yeah, we'll be back in two weeks actually for another community shares event. So you're all welcome to join us then. I'll, you'll definitely get notifications about it. Um, yeah but that's all so thank you so much andy, and uh, andy
1: thank you uh, to you truly my my immense gratitude you're a wonderful host thank you to andrew too andrew and thank you to all of you you
0: are truly the dam- to me. thank you have a good one everyone see you around the club